we've been working our way through themes of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and this morning we're engaging themes of wisdom related to parenting. To springboard this discussion, we're going to use passage, passages of scripture often referred to as the paternal appeals found in the first seven chapters of the book. We're going to primarily focus on the first one. Each appeal, like chapter 1, verse 8, which was read earlier, indicates a father is addressing a son. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Imagine a father sitting down with his son, looking into his eyes, appealing to him, teaching him ways he needs to grow in maturity as he becomes an adult. Now, I know many of the adults in this room are not parents, and so you might want to check out from such an exercise and such a conversation. Let me push against that for for a moment, not because you might be parents someday, although that could be true, but more so, you are brothers and sisters in Christ with parents in this church. They are your family. And you're called to speak the truth in love to them when you see gaps and sin in the ways they parent. Michelle and I, we have single friends who do this. We have, we have friends who are married who do not yet have children. And we are so thankful when they're willing to speak into how we're parenting. It is not solely the responsibility of parents to raise children. It is the responsibility of the entire church to help children grow, to know and love and follow Jesus. So adults, let's imagine for a minute. Imagine you're having this conversation. You have a child in front of you, maybe next to you, and you're teaching them what to value as they become adults. What do you want to say? What do you want to emphasize? What kinds of truths do you want to uphold? So a couple weeks ago in preparation for this sermon, I visited the classrooms of the four to five-year-olds and six to eight-year-olds in First City Kids. Kids. Do you guys remember when I visited? No, no. Uh, I I asked the kids what they wanted to do when they grow up. And I asked what type of adults their parents hoped they would become. So during, during my visit, I learned some interesting things. One, uh, the son of Jake and Renee White, Henry White, he believes when he grows up, he should be a king and his brother should be a president. Because there are lots of kings named Henry, and there have been several presidents with the name James, which is his brother's middle name. Two, Many kids know their parents want them to grow up to follow Jesus. Good stuff. Three, parents want them to be the type of adults that love others, that do not steal, that do not read books about witches, and that do not eat chocolate with their ice cream. So we, so we have a starting point on what we're teaching kids as they move toward adulthood. Let's look to the book of Proverbs for more. As we look to the paternal appeals, 
we're going to learn four quick things what's important to teach a child as they transition from childhood to adulthood. This certainly is not an exhaustive list, and it's not taught in an exhaustive manner, but it is helpful. So, for lesson number one, we're actually going to back up a little bit from from the first paternal appeal to chapter 1, verse 7. In the first week of our series, we mentioned how this verse sets the stage for everything that follows, including the paternal appeals. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and correction. So, rooting the paternal appeals that flow from this verse we know lesson number one is teaching humility before the Lord. The wise parent knows the most important lesson to teach a child is fear or reverence or humility before God. Parent is not ultimately about teaching right behaviors or right actions. It's ultimately about teaching about right relationship. The wise parent understands the heart of a child. It's not not naturally bent towards God, but it is bent towards himself. Jumping forward to the third paternal appeal, the father says this to his son. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This temptation to be wise in our own eyes. It is the temptation to exalt self. It is the temptation in a child to believe he or she is the center of the universe. It is the temptation in a child to resist the wisdom of others. It is the tendency in a child to be self-sufficient. And it is the tendency in a child to resist authority. Listen to Paul Tripp. Parents who fight a toddler about what to eat are not really fighting about what to eat. It's not that he has a different perspective on diet than you do. Come on. He knows nothing about diet. That fight is about autonomy. That battle over what to wear is not a fight about fashion, but about autonomy. The fight about whether your teenagers, about whether your teenage son can go to that party is not first about his deep commitment to the celebrations of his community of peers. That fight is about his continued resistance to being told what he can or cannot do. Children, do not be wise in your own eyes. And parents, there are a multitude of ways to teach a child to fear or revere or bow in humility before the Lord reading the Bible with your kids, family devotions, using a catechism to teach your child about the character of God. But perhaps most importantly, tell your child God is holy. Tell your child that he or she is a sinner. And the way to be reconciled with God is not right behavior. It's not about following the right do's and don'ts. The way to be reconciled to God is not about pleasing you as a parent either. And it's not about doing what you did as a kid. 
the way to be reconciled to God is rooted in repentance. A proper understanding of who God is and who one is in relationship with him. A child needs to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ himself. The wise parent teaches humility before the Lord. This is lesson number one. For lesson number two, let's jump into the beginning of the first paternal appeal. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This is how each of the paternal appeals begins. It's a sort of an invitation. A sampling includes, hear your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching, receive my words, make your ear attentive, incline your heart to understanding, do not forget my teaching, let your heart keep my commandments. These these expressions are not so much do as I say, but more of an appeal or a plea to value what I say. And what is the father saying? Well, he's saying things like, do not consent if sinners entice you. Listen to and value wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not commit adultery. Guard the marriage bed. The parent is teaching the child the value of virtuous behavior. So lesson number two, value virtue. To illustrate the value of virtue in verse 9, the father goes on to say, for they are like a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So a garland was a victor's wreath, something like a crown that would result in one being attractive and one standing out. And a pendant was a chain that one wore around one's neck as a mark of prestige, something like a gold medal. Valuing virtue does that. It leads one to stand out. It results in one living differently. To illustrate the value of virtue in the ninth paternal appeal, we encounter the father saying this, my son, Keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. Valuing virtue will form a child in how he or she thinks about all of life. When interacting with others, rather than being me-centered... He or she will think through how to bless and love and serve others. When someone has done something wrong against him or her, the child will not be focused on how he or she has been wronged, but rather will make plans for peace. Much of the time, we struggle to value virtue. In fact, we sometimes devalue it in our kids. We expect children to be disobedient. And we make light of it. Oh, they're naughty, but they are so cute. And they're only two. They'll grow out of it. It's okay. Or maybe we encounter disobedient behavior from a child that is not our own. And we deny telling the parent. 
We want to be a blessing to that parent, and so we don't tell them that their child exhibited disobedient behavior. This devalues virtue. Or maybe it's when an older child begins to lie and deceive. We excuse their behavior. They're just teenagers. This is what teenagers do. Excusing, dismissing, defending, making light of. When we do this with our kids, we work to undermine valuing virtue. Lesson number two, value virtue. Let's keep reading in chapter one for lesson number three. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. As the father teaches his son to value virtue, he enters into a bit of a role play, explaining how he may be tempted to surrender to temptation. This son has not yet been approached by these individuals, so to prepare him for such a day, the father describes how others may entice him to participate in violent or greedy behavior. In the seventh paternal appeal, the father does something similar as he is teaching his son to resist adultery. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. So lesson number three is to reject counter-Christian thinking. The father not only teaches his son to reject sinful behaviors, he steps into the worldview of individuals who would struggle to resist sin, explaining how they think. In some ways, he can make the argument to embrace sinful behavior and sinful lifestyles better than those who actually do. And he doesn't simply shame those who demonstrate such behaviors. A wise parent compassionately explains why embracing such invitations is understandable, even though it is wrong. Many adults fear exposing a child to beliefs or values or lifestyles that oppose Christianity. They don't want to talk to a child about how others may deny the existence of God or may deny their views on sexuality or may have views that differ about the origins of humanity. This is actually one of the reasons researchers believe children abandon the Christian faith in college years. They do not know how to navigate counter-Christian thinking, and so they abandon it altogether. In order to engage counter-Christian thinking, it's not that the wise parent simply exposes his or her child to false beliefs. In the case of teaching a son to avoid violence in Proverbs 1, the father doesn't drop his son off at a corner where violence is likely to occur. 
or in the case of teaching a son to avoid adultery, a loving father doesn't expose his son to images of pornography or leave him alone in the classroom to learn from peers or teachers about sexuality. The wise parent explains the attractiveness of counter-Christian beliefs and lifestyles. The wise parent is not afraid to do this, to discuss and engage those counter-Christian beliefs and lifestyles because they know a life rooted in the gospel is better. Lesson number three, reject counter-Christian thinking. And lesson number four is appreciate correction. So the book of Proverbs is very much a book that emphasizes principles of parental correction. For example, in Proverbs 13, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. In Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Many of us cringe when we read these verses. Rather than appreciate correction, many of us would rather avoid it or abandon it. Why? Maybe we had a father or mother who would discipline us in anger, verbally or physically. This type of correction is wrong. Maybe for you as a mother or father, correcting a child is more connected to frustration and anger and rage. This type of correction is certainly wrong too. But maybe you struggle to appreciate correction because your vision for correction aligns with current cultural critiques of it. For example, here's a quote from a recent CNN health article. Lewis explained that while authoritarian parenting, and so this is, there's a lot of ideas of parental correction uh, linked to authoritarian parenting. Lewis explained that while authoritarian parenting did often help children do better at school and stay out of trouble, it often left them emotionally scarred. Many of you identify correction as scarring your children emotionally. You believe if your child experiences hurt, it would harm them for life. Whatever reason you have for not accepting correction or not appreciating correction, the answer is not to avoid or abandon it. The answer is to view it rightly. In the third paternal appeal, the father says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in whom he delights. The wise parent understands biblical correction is done in love. The end goal is not to produce fear or to punish a child. The end goal is always to restore a child to a right relationship with God and with others. When restoration is the end goal, a child learns to delight in such discipline. They may not appreciate it in the moment, but when they look back, they are thankful their parent taught them through reproof and rebuke. The author of Hebrews, after quoting Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The parent who avoids correction in some ways is imaging a God who abandons. They are not teaching about the God who loves and disciplines them in his love. Telling a child who God is and who God is in relation to him. When we teach a child to appreciate correction, we are modeling and displaying the righteous character of our God. And ultimately, this is what parenting is all about. Teaching a child who God is. Teaching a child who God is in relation to him. We want children to know how much God loves them. We want children to know how much God cares for them. We want children to know how he is present with them and has not abandoned them. This is our aim as we parent and as we raise children. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the parents who are in this room, and I want to thank you uh, for the individuals in this room who partner uh, with the parents who are here. We, thank, thank, we are thankful for the ways you've given them wisdom. We are thankful for your word uh, in how it teaches us to raise children. And God, we confess that we are certainly not, we, we have not arrived in how we parent. We have not arrived in how we raise children. There are many ways in which we make light of sin. There are many ways in which we do not value virtue. There are many ways in which we make sin less about the need to be right before you and more about the need to be right before us. And so, God, we confess that we do not view sin rightly in the lives of children. God, we also confess that we oftentimes abandon our children to encounter counter-Christian thinking. We are not taking the time to proactively teach them. We are, we are perhaps exposing them, but we're not engaging them. We're not preparing. We're not proactively uh, helping them understand how others think and others see the world. Help us grow there, Lord. And God, we also confess that as parents, there are, there are ways in which we abuse correction or avoid correction. Help us, help us be people who, who teach our children to appreciate correction. May we be a church that raises our children well, teaching them about God's character. And in the end, may our children grow up to know and love and follow Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.